Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings. Slither in place. Because this is Snakebirds. Snake hey, Snakebirds, welcome to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. This is it. Today we close out this extensive profile of a fascinating character in the Bible. That is Abraham. That's right, guys. We are at last on episode five, and I know this was kind of a jump out of our usual profile routine as far as time dedicated to a character, but this episode we're going to just tie up some loose ends of what the Old Testament says about Abraham and touch on the New Testament uh, mentions of him. But uh, just as a real quick recap, we see that Abraham, he was a pagan brought near to God who stepped out in faith towards his calling. And um, as we've unfolded the story, we've seen so many amazing applications and rich history. And last episode, we saw the incredible window of prophecy that pointed to Jesus himself through the sacrifice with Isaac. And now we're going to approach the, the later season in Abraham's life as we get into chapter 23. Yes, that's right. Kind of a tragic uh, happening here. Yeah, it really is. It's uh, it comes to an end, but it's it's going to be really cool to see the uh, the mentions in the New Testament and just how this extended and springboarded into the future. Yes, for sure. So, Josh, should we jump just right into twenty three here and kind of pick up where we left off? Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's do it. Okay, so I'm just going to read verses one and two, and uh, we'll get into it from there. Now, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, probably grossly mispronounced, (laughs) but that is Hebron in parentheses, um, the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And it's uh, obviously sad scene. They're lifelong partners. And uh, I, I found it interesting that uh, Sarah seems to be the only woman in the Bible whose exact age is mentioned. And we see here the uh, the mention of her when she dies at 127 years old. Yeah, we both had that in our notes, apparently. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> no, no, that's great. <laughs> and it just goes to show how high she was held in honor. Yeah. And um, it's, it's interesting because it's abrupt that they've just come back from Mount Moriah and now she's passing. And we realize that um, at this point, Isaac is 37 years old. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about how last time he could be in his 30s. So who knows, you know, what point in his life that happened, that Mount Moriah experience happened where Abraham was called to sacrifice him and then God stopped him. But um, as we see her passing, I just want to remember that twice in the Bible, we're told to look at her as an example. Once in Isaiah 51 verses one and two, it says, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. And then in 1 Peter 3, it says, Don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted God had also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as 
Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So twice in the Bible, it says, hey, look at Sarah as a good example of somebody to mimic, to be like. Yeah, that says a lot, too. Mm-hmm. The uh, the focus is drawn on her. And we see, obviously, I mean, we don't have to describe what mourning for a loved one is like here, but yeah. I did see this is the only the second mention of tears or mourning um, in the Bible so far as Abraham understandably mourns for her loss. So yeah. it's... Um, it's a sad, a sad moment that they're drawing focus on with that set, only the second mention in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that's gone on in the book of Genesis that could have had this this mention, but it's only the second time here. Sure, yeah, yeah. And I mean, just you think about it, they'd been married for so long and been through so much together mm-hmm. that all of a sudden she's passed and, and he's sad. Yeah. And I mean, naturally, much like today when we lose someone, not only did you know, we have to deal with the funeral and all that. Um, Abraham has to deal with this intense grief of losing his wife, but he's also having to quickly handle the burial and arrangements for mm-hmm. his wife. And um, this would have been uniquely stressful, I think, for Abraham, because we're talking about a pretty unique situation. Because remember, Abraham is considered a sojourner in this land where she has died. Mm-hmm. Um, while Abraham knows this land is, is already his via the promise of God, the inhabitants of that land have no knowledge of that covenant. Yeah. And so Abraham, while juggling these emotions of grief and loss, now has to tread carefully as he arranges for Sarah, his wife, to be buried in this land. It will eventually belong to their descendants, but but not yet. And he has to kind of <laughs> tread this a little carefully. Yeah, he, he doesn't really have a... He doesn't own the land he's on, even though God's promised it to him. Exactly. That's just, that's just what you said, but it's just, it's kind of fascinating going, oh, where am I supposed to bury my wife? Yeah. And, and dealing with that immediate loss and then, mm-hmm. and then the stress of that. Yeah. A lot That'd of grief be, involved. It'd be, I mean, imagine if you were out of country and your wife died. Mm. I mean, that same kind of, that'd be so stressful. Yeah. It'd be very difficult. And you had to live there or something, you know, you, you don't know anything, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's a unique situation. So Abraham, we see, approaches the sons of Heth, which are uh, people connected to the Hittites who inhabit territory around Hebron here. And he he asked them for uh, permission for the portion of land to bury his wife, Sarah. And I saw one commentator says this about Abraham's request. Abraham is thus an example of a believer living among and interacting with unbelievers who by definition do not share his faith presuppositions or worldview Mm. because Abraham realized that the Hittites did not recognize his divine right to the land. He did what was necessary to ensure that his possession of the land would be respected by going through the culturally accepted process of commercial transaction. Mm. And we're going to get into that a little bit here, but um, that's, that's what he's doing. He's wanting, he's wanting to be at peace with everyone around him as well as, you know, have, have his wife buried in a respectable way. Yeah, I really like the interactions that they have between one another and kind of the negotiations that will take place, which we'll talk about. But I found something that seems like this is actually a a fact that you would typically bring. I wanted to mention this about the Hittites, is that once unknown to secular history and thought to be a mythical people by some critics of Bible history, information about the Hittites have been uncovered by archaeologists and historians, and they are now known to have had an 
Empire centered in Asia Minor. They were of sufficient military strength to challenge the armies of Egypt under the vainglorious Ramses II and fought him to a standstill at Kadesh on the Orontes. The progenitor of the Hittites, Heth, is listed second among the sons of Canaan in the Table of Nations, that's in Genesis 10.15, and most of the references to the sons of Heth appear in the narrative of the purchase of the cave of Machpelah of Abraham, which is what we're talking about here, and then later on God commanded the Israelites to destroy all the Hittites living in the Promised Land, but Israel did not completely do that. So later on, some of David's best warriors were of Hittite ancestry, and Solomon engaged uh, in trade with the Hittite kings. And so it's evident that the Hittites were a people of great consequence. So I just, I like bringing that up, especially if there's people that are like, they never even existed. They're yeah. mythical. Yeah, for real. Yeah. No, I've always loved, I love bringing that. That's and it's so true too. They were literally thought of as non-existent until mm. they discovered their remains. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and they I were really, kind of a great people. Yeah. They really were. It makes me more thankful for Indiana Jones every day. I know. <laughs> it belongs in a museum. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we uh, need more funny. we need more archaeologists. Yes, we do. My son is aspiring to be one. That would be so cool. Yes, he is young though, so we'll see what happens <laughs> next year. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But we do see that the the natives of the area, they don't have a problem at all with Abraham bearing Sarah there. So much so, they actually offer him the finest portion of his choice, which is, it's awesome to see that relationship mm-hmm. with, with these foreigners, with this foreigner. Yeah, I say foreigner. They're, I guess they're both kind of foreigners, aren't they? To a degree, yeah. To a degree. But um, Abraham proceeds to seek out Ephron, the son of Zoar, in order to pay him full price for the burial site. He doesn't want he doesn't want to just take it. Mm-hmm. He wants it to cost him something. That sounds kind of familiar. It does. It's a, it's a man of righteousness, I think, type of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, after kind of an awkward back and forth between Abraham and, and Ephron, awkward because he refused to take the land for free, it was agreed on that 400 shekels of silver would be paid for the burial site in Hebron. So when you mention that, um, because as you read this, you're like, man, there's a lot of formalities and there's a lot of like, I want you to have it. And it's like, well, I don't want to just have it. I want to pay you for it. And apparently this was a very common thing for the time of offering to give the property until the buyer insisted on paying a price. And so I found this, it said, Ephron the Hittite was following the cultural customs of bargaining. First, the seller offered to give the item. Then when that was refused, the seller suggested a price, which he claimed was modest, but was really very high. This was understood to be the starting point, and from there, the bargaining was supposed to begin, which is wild because he suggested 400 shekels. Yeah. And I'm sure that he thought Abraham would come back and be like, oh, no, 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 that's way too much. I will start at 100 shekels. Okay. And and it's like me selling you a a car that might be worth $5,000, but I come out and I'm like, I need to get 25,000 out of this. And you're like, sold. Yeah. Wow. And there's a couple of reasons for that, but let's let's keep going, and I'll give you those in a minute. Okay. Yeah, well, that's very interesting. It's, it makes me think, my dad grew up in Brazil, and he always talked about a certain custom like that, where you, you kind of played this game back and forth, even though you knew the end outcome. Mm-hmm. 
That's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was fascinating, especially considering the culture. And I was watching something the other day where the guy was like, "You you didn't barter for that," and and he just he had come from this culture where everything was like even um, even walking into a store, you would try to negotiate the price. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. Pretty cool. Uh, that's that's all I had for chapter twenty three. Josh, is there oh, anything okay. you wanted to sum up there? Well, I did want to mention on why for Abraham this seemed like a high price, but it was for a purpose. Nice. So three things. First and foremost, he wanted to own it fully with no contention, especially from the current inhabitants. He didn't want anybody coming and saying, hey, this was a backward business deal, you know, underneath the table. In fact, they were doing it at the city gate, which was like a legally binding transaction back then. Mm. And then the second thing was it would be used for generations by their family. This became what was known as the tomb of the patriarchs because both Sarah and Abraham, Isaac and Rebecca, and then later on Leah and Jacob would be buried in this specific burial plot. Yeah. And then the third was, it was kind of neat because it was one of the first steps in taking possession of the land God was giving him, almost like a down payment on the promise. One commentator wrote this, by buying the land for his dead, he declared that God's promises do not end in this life. This is the hope of all who die in faith. Nice. And so I, I mean, again, it's like one of those things where, you know, I've got this, um, guitar that may be worth $500 and I'm like, I'll sell it to you for 3000. And I mean, for somebody to just go, okay, 3000. I mean, I think probably, uh, Efron the Hittite was kind of like, wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. And to your point too, there's never going to be a point where they're like, I uh, could have gotten a better deal. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. Was, that was a done deal. Yeah, and they couldn't come <laughs> back and say, well, he grifted me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was like, it was paid if in anything, full. If anything, you'd be walking around being like, I feel bad for that. <laughs> yeah, yes, he's counting out the money going, oh my gosh, it's not worth that. But, yeah. And that's kind of the neat thing that you pointed out is like, it's not worth anything if it doesn't cost you something. And mm. that sounded a lot like the David story. So yeah, yeah that's all I got for 23. Yeah, right on. So, just a chapter dedicated to recording Sarah's death and burial. Yeah, tragic. And it is. And chapter 24, uh, just go ahead and read verses 1 through 4. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. Um, that's that's the start we see into chapter 24. Abraham's he's moving right into... Um, he's, he's kind of bowing out of the race, and he's thinking about his legacy mm-hmm. left for Isaac. Yeah. And I'd imagine that Abraham's thinking to himself, goodness, if if Isaac is the one carrying the baton to spawn the nations of future generations, then I at least want him to start off the race on the right foot with mm-hmm. with a wife alongside him that's going to help him in the long haul. Like-minded. Yes, equally yoked. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to say with that. Yeah. Especially when you look around and, and the reason he didn't want him to marry a Canaanite wife was that 
she was going to be entrenched in idolatry and wickedness. Mm -hmm. And there's a good chance that she might actually pull Isaac's heart away. Mm -hmm. And so he wanted to be faithful to the covenant by preparing Isaac for his future by saying, hey, we're going to find you this wife. Yeah. And as I kind of read this, I thought about, you know, he, he came from a pagan culture and he went into the land of Canaan, a pagan culture. So I think he, along the way, he knew where there was... Uh, people who were seeking God. Mm-hmm. And I think that was his whole thing. He said, I don't want you to go to these other cultures who worship other gods. Yeah, And uh, that's it's really the heart of a father, for yeah. sure. And if you uh, just, you know, if you're listening with kids, maybe give them earmuffs for a second, but that put your hand under my thigh has some really interesting implications, at least according to one book I read in Bible college, because it was like some sort of just really manly covenant saying, hey, I am charging you with this and I am trusting you. And it was like one of the deepest connections that you could make in terms of saying, like, this is like a blood debt in a sense. Yeah, I've heard quite a few. There's there's a lot of things being said with that action. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was like, a serious business. it was a bro oath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it got real. And, and it was a journey of faith for Eleazar because he had to travel 450 miles yeah. to, to play the Old Testament version of The Bachelor here. And so, <laughs> you know, and we, that's, that's all I'm going to say about this story because that's, it's not ours to tell for Abraham, you know, it's, yeah. it's Isaac's, which we might cover eventually in his uh, profile at some point. True, yeah. And basically, um, he does, he sends Eleazar, and he tells him, don't take Isaac with you. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. You're going to go do this on your own. And he sends this most trustworthy servant um, to oversee this matchmaking process, um, if it is the will of God. Because we see that Abraham gives him a little bit of leeway uh, or exemption in the case that God doesn't want a wife in that timing. Because mm. I think in the back of Abraham's mind, he's thinking, there's things that were supposed to come that I did before that wasn't in his timing. Yes, it was supposed to come, but not. So I think he gave him a little bit of a leeway. Mm-hmm. And um, even in the case that a wife couldn't be found for Isaac, uh, he says, you know, don't take him back to that culture. Mm-hmm. Either way, don't take him back. Uh, lest he get a wild hair and seeing the tempting pagan culture and essentially becoming a type of Samson, I would imagine. Well, too, taking him away from the promised land. True, yeah, because, deviating from the path. Yeah, what if all of a sudden he goes 450 miles away and he goes, I like it over here, Yeah, and then abandons God's plan completely. Yeah, and uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I didn't plan on going too much further in this because mm-hmm. it's like you said, it's another profile, but um, we do see that he ends up finding him a wife. It mm-hmm. was in fact in, in God's timing, uh, good old fashioned kissing cousin scene there. And it will, we'll touch base on that in another episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't frowned upon as much back then. Well, and there's a beautiful spiritual picture of the Holy Spirit and the Bride of Christ. And oh yeah, there's a lot there that you could pull out, but that's not what this is. This profile is about exactly, exactly. So we're gonna do a good old hop, skip, and jump across that part, and yep. uh, that that lands us all the way into chapter twenty-five, um, where we see that Abraham he actually he takes another wife, doesn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah. Which is uh, I don't how long how long had it been you think? Uh, so he could be about a hundred and fifty years old here. Okay. So some people say that he actually chronologically might have even taken this concubine 
wife. Like, we're yeah. going to talk about that before Sarah died. There's a possibility. Well, I think I read uh, elsewhere that she was a concubine. Yeah, we're going to so we'll, we'll visit about that if we want. But yeah, um, yeah. So that makes sense. But her her name was Katura. Katura. Yeah. Yeah. Which. Her name means incense, so she might have smelled nice. Nice. I got thick smoke, so. (laughs) Which is incense. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe she had a really raspy voice. (laughs) Abraham. (laughs) I don't know. I was going Jewish wife again. Dang it. Jewish mother. You're making me schwitz over here. (laughs) I love your Jersey girl accent, man. (laughs) I don't know. But uh, yeah, so he he finds another wife. Thick smoke. <laughs> Thick. That's what the Hebrew definition said on my okay. my yeah uh, yeah yeah. I had the engine. Hebrew lexicon that said incense, and it just cleared it up a little. Yeah, man said thick smoke. She's like, no way, man. We burn an incense here. Okay, that's funny. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Um, We see in verse 5, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while they were still living. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sorry, while he was still living. (laughs) And uh, he he had ended up sending them away eastward while Mm -hmm. he... uh, And I think that that speaks to the heart of Abraham because there was a a way of doing things. And I think he would have been just fine probably... Uh, just giving it all to Isaac, but he had a heart for all of his children. Yeah. And the interesting thing was, uh, a few things, was apparently the kid having problems didn't fall on Abraham. Because again, even at close to possibly 150 years old, he's he's still making babies here. Yeah. It appears that God allowed him the miracle of baby making just a little bit longer. <laughs> just a little bit longer. Because he had yeah. more. And we do say that uh, it says that he took a wife named Keturah, which is what it says here in Genesis chapter 25. But later on in First Chronicles 132, it calls her a concubine, mm-hmm. which is not quite all the rights of a wife. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like... It was a very cultural thing. Yeah, it, it, exactly. That's what I was going to say. If you're looking say. at it like he had a side chick, you know, it's not like that. No, not at all. Just... Just, it's like a, just lesser. It's a lesser situation. It's not quite wife worthy. It's, I mean, some people even consider Hagar to be like a concubine versus a wife. And and that also gave him the freedom to say that Isaac is the chosen one. And even though you're my kids and I give you gifts, I'm still sending you away. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, I did go through the, the motions of ch- uh, finding out what their names are and what they mean. So I thought I'd share a little bit. Um, so Zimram meant musician. Uh, Jokshan meant uh, snarer or fowler, so he might have been like a bird hunter. To lay bait or lure. Okay, so you did the same. I did. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, Medan meant contention. That's what I found. Yeah. Uh, Midian means strife, so I don't know what was happening during those two kids' right. uh, <laughs> times that they were being born, but it seemed like they were having some issues. Yeah. Uh, Ishbak meant leaving behind or he releases. Yeah. And then Shua means wealth or pit. And I went into even the kids and grandkids names. So Sheba means seven or oath. We talked about that in the last uh, uh, profile that we did, part four or whatever. Uh, Dedan means low country, which they thought maybe like um, he even moved to like a valley or something. Um, 
Asherim means guided, blessed, or steps, which I thought was really cool. So if you're needing some names, these are available probably. <laughs> uh, Letishim means hammered or sharpened. Lemimim, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it means peoples or a nation. Um, and then Midian had some kids. His oldest born was named Epha, which is kind of the emo version of the Bible. It's uh, His name means gloomy or darkness. Ah. There's a sentence and it's like, he brings darkness to the dawn. Wow. Yeah. Like really what dark. A name. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy that you're naming your firstborn this because it's supposed to be representative of what's going on in your life. They during had that goals time. for that one, didn't they? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, Effer, which is kind of funny because it sounds like heifer, uh, means calf or young animal. Chanak uh, <laughs> means dedicated or initiated. Abida means my father knows or father of, of knowledge. And then Elda means God has known. And so it's just interesting to see this family tree branching out of Abraham and Keturah and then him sending them off and watching that family tree grow, even though they're not part of the promised land. I figured Elda would be the feminine form of elder. Oh, that would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> or the New Jersey form. This is my Elda. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very nice. Back to the New Jersey thing. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Very interesting. I always, I always love the digging into the names. It's so interesting. Yeah. But him sending them away did clear the way for Isaac, the son of promise. And he seems to... I mean, at every turn, hold on to that, which is one of the fantastic things that we love about him for his faith. Well, I mean, look back at the whole life. It was all about staying on mission. Yeah. And that was part of it. Yeah. And I never put this together chronologically, but Abraham lived until Jacob and Esau were about 15 years old. Yeah. Pretty wild. I, yeah, because, I mean, in the Bible, it closes his story out before it focuses on the next story, on Isaac's story. Mm -hmm. But Abraham still was alive during that time. Yeah, he it says that he uh, he died at 175 years of age. Um, verse eight of of 24 says that he died an old man satisfied with life mm -hmm. and was gathered to his people. And the cool thing to see here is that it says that he was satisfied with life. And I imagine that Abraham was able to look back on his life and really cherish the continued faith in God that carried him all the way to this point. And of course, there were so many ups and downs, especially with Ishmael and Isaac. But even here, we see that all these years later, even after all the rivalry between Isaac and Ishmael, we see that they were able to stand side by side as they buried their father Abraham together. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that speaks to a lot. It does. Because, I mean, that Abraham really unified um, what was going on in even both of their lives. Yeah. Really cool, I thought. Yeah, for sure. Adam Clark gave a good eulogy of Abraham. He said, Above all, as a man of God, he stands unrivaled, so that under the most exalted and perfect of all dispensations, the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is proposed and recommended as the model and pattern according to which the faith, obedience, and perseverance of the followers of the Messiah are to be formed. Reader, while you admire the man, do not forget the God that made him so great, so good, and so useful. Even Abraham had nothing but what he had received from the free unmerited mercy of God preceded all his excellences, but he was a worker together with God and therefore did not receive the grace of God in vain. Go thou, believe, love, obey, and persevere in like manner. Mm. 
I like that. I mean, just talking about the the blessing of a fulfilled life, of a life lived in Christ. And and it's not a perfect one. No. You know, we looked and go, oh. <laughs> but here As we, we come. Do our own. Yeah, exactly. But we come to where that 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 last breath comes and we go, you know, slow clap. Yeah. And I mean, you ran your race, you did it and exactly. and you graduated. Yeah. That's so cool. And it's a sad, it's obviously it's sad to to see anyone go, but Abraham knew where he was going. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that in verse 11, it says, and it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son, Isaac. And so right there, the blessing just passes right on. Stage two. Yeah. Yep. This is the son of promise. And we're just going to pick up right where he left off. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. And that about sums it up for the Old Testament, doesn't it, Josh? It does, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he gone, yeah. <laughs> but he's back in the New Testament. He is. Yeah. So I think we're about to, we're obviously, we're going to get into a little bit in the New Testament. It won't be as extensive as the last four no, episodes. No. But <laughs> yeah. Okay, strap in for a 70 hour. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, I just wanted to note the interesting fact I saw that Abraham was mentioned 175 times in the Old Testament. Testament, and uh, we're going to see 73 times in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And uh, prophets like Nehemiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Micah all recognize Abraham as a foundational character in God's plan for humanity. Mm-hmm. And even the Pharisees prided themselves in being children of Abraham. And I would just like to touch on a few New Testament places where Abraham is mentioned because uh, while Orthodox Jews and Muslims don't see Jesus for who he really is, they do recognize Abraham as the foundation of which we have seen and will see clearly points to Jesus. And um, some of these scriptures that uh, we're going to go over, I'm sure we've we've kind of touched on in the last four episodes, but we'll just kind of touch on a few uh, as we go along here. Josh, do you have any you want to kick us off with? Yeah, um, and I wanted to mention real quick, you were talking about Abraham being mentioned so many times in the New Testament. In mm-hmm. fact, the only Old Testament character that's mentioned more times than Abraham is Moses. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, talk about two fathers of the faith. Uh, extremely uh foundational in who we who we rely on as sure. examples of Christians and examples of of believers. And if so. you're if you're wondering, no, we will not be doing Moses profile anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Moses part 18. Yeah. <laughs> 2 weeks ago we finished Abraham. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we we won't do that to you listener. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my gosh, yeah. We were both talking about like let's not do this again for a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Moses will come down the pike, but not yet. Yes, yeah. So, um, well, I had a few honorable or notable mentions of Abraham in the New Testament, and I hope I don't run over anything that you said. Uh, first and foremost is Matthew 3, 9. And again, this it comes up a few times in the gospel, but the Pharisees are like, we have Abraham as our father. Mm-hmm. And, well, I even want to focus on one instance of that where they kind of argue with Jesus here in a few minutes. But um, the next thing is, Abraham's bosom. That's the place where the Old Testament people of faith were waiting for their fulfillment of the Messiah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that he is mentioned by Stephen in Acts chapter 7, recounting the history of the Jewish nation and the faith leading to Jesus, all the way as he's like, let me break it down on why you Pharisees should see Jesus as the Messiah. Yeah. Um, and I could keep going, but I know you probably have some examples that you want to give as well. Well, honestly, I think we're just going to have to bounce off each other okay. because there's so much. There's yeah. so much, and it's so intertwined. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one that I'll start off with is uh, Galatians 3, 6 through 9, uh, where it says, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And uh, the context of of these verses, Paul is basically explaining to the Jews and Gentiles the nature of the original covenant, the acceptance of God's prophesied changes in the new covenant. But um, people really fighting the idea that Jesus' death really dealt the final blow. You know, the whole death, where is your sting? But Paul took the storyline all the way back to ground zero. And the hope, I think, was to see the rich history of God's initial relationship with Abraham to the fulfilled prophecy of all the nations who would be blessed through the seed, you know, Jesus. And uh, to sum up Galatians in verse 28, it says, uh, and we've heard this before, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor freedman, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Mm. And that's just so cool, because it's it's God reaching all the way back. He said, don't you see what I've been doing? Yeah. And this is our profile, the, the ground zero guy. Yeah. So. And it clears up a mystery, if you were ever in children's ministry growing up, on why in the world you're singing, I am a son or daughter of Father Abraham if exactly. I'm not Jewish. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I am one of the... <laughs> so, you know, and yeah. you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that that song always reminded me of the land chops. That this is the song. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, it's, sorry, it, listener. I think they did it because it burns so much time. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left and foot. It, you know, turn bad, around. Bad burned it. You knew you were a, a, a child of Abraham. Well, you had to. <laughs> You couldn't walk away from that and not know. <laughs> but, okay, we're going to talk about who's sons of Abraham, and then uh, I'll just go into mine. Why don't I? Do it. Uh, John chapter 8, Jesus is doing a... Uh, Jesus is having a discussion with the Pharisees and Jesus said in verse 31, and I won't read all of it, but I've highlighted some areas. It says, and he said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples. If you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So they respond to him, but we are descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean? We will be set free. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of that family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father. But you follow the advice of your father. And they said, our father is Abraham. And they're kind of getting really expressive. Yeah. And he goes, 
Well, if you really were children of Abraham, you would follow his example. And he goes on to say, instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you're imitating your real father. (laughs) And it gets even more escalated because they're like, we are not illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. (laughs) And Okay, so this is where it gets real because Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here I am not here on my own but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me for you are children of your father the devil. Good grief. <laughs> yeah. And uh Satan. Yeah. <laughs> And it goes on to where they're just like, you're possessed by a devil. And and he's like, I don't have a demon in me. Yeah. uh, For I honor my father and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth. Anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. And the people said, now we know you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died. But you say, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Are you greater than our father, Abraham? They come back and they're like, no, we're not of the devil. He's still our dad. Yeah. (laughs) My dad works at Nintendo. (laughs) He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I wanted to glorify myself, it doesn't count. But it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great of a liar as you. But I do know him and I obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. And the people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? And this is where he drops the bomb. I love it. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth before Abraham was even born. I am. I love that line. <laughs> That's my favorite line, yeah. I think, in the whole Bible. I think one of them. It, it has to be one of mine as well. Yeah. I just, not even 50 years old, how can you say that you saw Abraham? You have to, you'd have to be at least 2,000 years old. And he just says, before Abraham was, I am. Boom jams. Drop the mic. Walk away. That and that phrase is so known. What he was saying, I am. What mm-hmm. What was Moses told to tell the Israelites when he went to Egypt? Who sent me? I am. Mm-hmm. It was a clear step. People ask me sometimes, you know, where show me where in the Bible Jesus says he is God. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> right well, here. And it's almost like that. I am phrase is a scarlet thread throughout the Bible. Just really kind of like the scarlet thread. It really is. Yeah, it's and a flat out admission that he's God. If you like '90s rap, <laughs> which I do, <laughs> there's a there's a um, a band called Cross Movement. It's a a rap group that was Christian, and they have a song called "I Am." that I am and this is the main focus of like they they basically verbatim wrap this verse and they give the context of it it's so cool I I totally recommend it so if you want to look that up it's at least worth a a listen that's awesome it's so cool yeah I, I love that you brought that because that is that is great yeah and I, uh, you know, a very similar sounding situation in Luke 3, 7 through 9, mm. um, where you you basically, you have a different angle of this. Is this the same event 
where it's right before John is baptizing people, and the Pharisees are saying, because I, I know there's sometimes when Jesus fed the mm-hmm. 5,000, and sometimes I wonder if it's the same event or was one just like it. But I don't think chronologically it is, because John took a lot of like yeah. final week of Jesus stuff. So. I, yeah, I think you're right. But anyway, I thought I'd say because it, it sounds so similar. It does, yeah. But what, what I saw in, in Luke 3, 7 through 9, and I'll think about it, the Pharisees and them, they all thought alike. So everywhere he ran into them, they mm. were saying the same stuff. And they were very hard-headed. Yeah. <laughs> but um, they were sitting there. He, he calls them, you brood of vipers. And um, they they basically said the same thing. We have Abraham for our father. And Jesus says, for I say to you, from these stones, God is able to raise up children from Abraham. Mm. He is like, Abraham is who he is because God says he is who he is. Yeah. And they, they were putting their security in that. And it, it reminds me of the triumphal entry where Jesus says, if the people were silent, then these stones would cry out. Mm-hmm. He's like, creation must worship and yeah. recognize me. Yeah. And uh, in both instances, uh, it speaks to God's will being done in an unshakable way. It's it's like putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable because they're putting the emphasis on, on Abraham and he says, no, I'm God. Yeah. I made Abraham and I can make his kids. Yeah. In fact, I did. Exactly. And like I said, that was that's the scene where John's baptizing the people in repentance just before Jesus walks up for his baptism. And uh, John's telling the people, who are mostly Jews, I assume, from the context, but um, that the general consensus from their day developed through the religious leaders over the last thousand years was deeply flawed. Mm. And there were those who found false sense of security in being born in that magical bloodline of Abraham. And they were resting in their ability to keep the rules of the law really good. And John is basically saying the axe is fixing to sever everything you knew, all that good work, because the Messiah is coming quite literally in that scene. Mm. And the real works that must be kept, the real fruit that comes is through repentance, through the avenue of the Messiah, or as we um, have seen and will see in a minute, Melchizedek, yeah. the guy who made the deals with Abraham. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so awesome. Yeah, it's, it, it really is. Um, I wanted to point to James uh, chapter 2, where he used Abraham as an example of being justified by works when he offered up Isaac on the altar. And it says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scripture said, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. And I mean, talk about throwing a heavy stone into the water using Abraham as an example about, hey, am I justified by faith or am I justified by my works? And like, that is a huge, um, snake bird. Yeah, that exactly <laughs> is. And that's one of those debates that people can just they're, get lost in the weeds about they're balanced, but striking that balance. And I heard this, uh, this week where talking about separating faith and works is like trying to separate the spirit from the body. It's you take one away and neither works. Mm-hmm. You're, a body without a spirit is just a lump of flesh and a spirit without a body is homeless. Yeah. So True. I thought that was really fascinating. And that's another example that I love of Abraham in the New Testament. That's awesome. I've got my last one in, um, 
believe it or not, Hebrews 11. So okay. <laughs> do yeah. you have any more? Do we want to save that for the end? Yeah, why don't we save that for the end? Okay. Because um, I know you went there too. I did. I did. <laughs> and by way of honorable mention, like I said, let me run by these real quick. You got Galatians chapter four, where Abraham's life is used by an example um, as he talks about the bond woman and the free woman, especially the, the requirement of circumcision. And he goes on to say that having that as a requirement after Jesus for the Gentiles is a form of enslavement. And he actually shows that proponents of circumcision post-Christ for non-Jews is actually a form of slavery and not allowing them to be free. So he says, those who are circumcised are sons of the bondwoman, and those who are not are sons of the free. And it's just wow, wild that's how, a heavy yeah, how he comes in and he says, I can use Abraham as an example for something that where you guys are placing, like you said, their faith in the bloodline. And he says, let me turn it on its head and show you how you're using that to actually enslave people. And like I heard you say plenty of times, katatame, where it's like you're, you're cutting off and yeah. Mutilation. Mutilation. Exactly. So, and then one other instance, and Paul dwells on this a lot in Romans chapter four, he says uh, this, what shall we say that Abraham, our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. And once again, that hinge point that we talk about all the way back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, is now being pulled into the New Testament as an example of why we are justified by our faith. Mm -hmm. So I just, I geek out on that every time um, because I'll say this, generally the Jewish teachers of Paul's day believed that Abraham was justified by his works by keeping the law. Ancient passages from the rabbis say, we find that Abraham our father has performed the whole law before it was given. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord, which... If he if did, you, it was done by faith. Yeah, well, if you've been with us for this profile, you know he wasn't perfect. The rabbis argue that Abraham kept the law perfectly before it was given, keeping it by intuition or anticipation. And let me just say, no, no, not at all. Like the camel through the eye of a needle, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And what's neat is God, he... he he accounts us to righteousness, but he doesn't make us righteous until we're walking through that that process of sanctification and we're finally made righteous at that moment of glorification when he welcomes us into heaven. But at no point did Abraham ever just like by intuition keep the whole law even before it was given. Because what does Paul say? Paul says it's impossible to transgress a law that's not known. He's yeah. like, you weren't accountable because there was no law. But once the law was given, then you were made accountable. And that's, you know, that's so what taught you it was it, a tutor. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. your school bus, your school teacher. So, um, yeah, that's notable mention. Awesome. Very notable, I'd say. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So bring us home and I'll comment as well. Okay. So, um, there's, you know, there's so many scriptures and applications I wanted to stop and kind of spend time with, but, um, 
I'm coming to Hebrews next, which should not surprise anyone. I'm headed right for chapter 11. Yeah. Um, where Apollos really breaks down the root message. Oh, oh, <laughs> Did I'm... Did you say Apollos? Perhaps, oh, my sorry. goodness. Perhaps maybe not Apollos, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, I think we both, Josh, had Hebrews 11 on the top of the list of stops. Yes. And um, it's where I have uh, at the end here. But I'm going to read Hebrews 11, 1 real quick. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gain approval. And that, I mean, that's a memory verse for so many, and it's for a good reason. This verse makes a clear case that faith, true faith, has always been what gains approval from God, like you just said, Josh. But um, the thing about faith is that it's our confidence in God's ability, not our own capabilities, like we just pointed out again. But the great men of old, like Abel, Enoch, Noah, and our profile Abraham here, all gained God's approval by a sincere faith in him. And um, verses 8 through 12 give us, I think, a real good recap on this profile in the light of faith. And I'm going to read that, Josh, uh, if that's good with you. Yeah, absolutely. Please. Okay. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God." By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore." And then verse 17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. And we we read that previously. Mm -hmm. But we see that... um, after the writer of Hebrews spends a good portion of time dedicated to Abraham, he goes on to mention all the other characters of whom he says in 39 and 40, and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. And that last part right there, that's what really hits me because it says so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. God guided all of these righteous by faith men and women of old to a point of waiting until the whole world could be brought near through Jesus Christ. Not just the chosen Jews, but all who would receive this gift. So, you know, when people ask me, why do you waste your time with that religious stuff? Why the rules? Why the guilt? Why the squirrely love talk? and I have the opportunity to give them an answer that can be heard to these questions, I try to convey the message here in Hebrews that stretches all the way back to Abraham, and that is faith, true faith. Mm -hmm. Jesus tells us the greatest commandments of loving God with everything in us and our neighbors ourselves, but what foundation does that love stand on? It stands on pure childlike faith in God working within us, doing through us what could never be done without faith. So, because we know it's impossible 
to please God without faith. Mm -hmm. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And that, my friends, is why we do the Snakebird podcast. Exactly. And that's all I got, Josh. Take it away from there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no. um, I know you got a lot in there, too. I just, you said a lot of it, so I'm going to cut back on some of the things. I just want to say this. I, I love that it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place to which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Mm-hmm. And you talk about this journey in life with Jesus, where a lot of times every day is like, well, what's what's this? What are you doing, God? Yeah. What do you mean quarantine? What do you mean all of the things? And yet Abraham is a perfect example of a life lived by faith. And I think in terms of application, we can take so much of that, of going, okay, God, I don't know how my story is going to affect somebody down the line. Because think about what we're able to glean from chapter 11 of Hebrews every day. Yeah, We can come and we can fall back on this story of people who gave up like it says um, in, in the middle of those those verses there, they gave up everything knowing that they were longing for a permanent city, a permanent home. And, you know, I, I think of even Peter when Jesus was talking about what the followers of Christ would receive. And Peter kind of goes like, well, what about us? We've given everything up for you. <laughs> and Jesus is like, you don't even understand what I've got waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And I just... I want to encourage anyone listening, walk by faith, not by sight, not by foolishness, not in the flesh. You know, we're going to have screw ups. We're going to go to the Negev, the dry, dusty place. We're going to encounter um, guys like Abimelech and we're going to encounter the Pharaoh. But it's up to us on whether we're going to deceive them or it's up to us or whether we're going to stand on truth. And we're going to have times where we slip and fall but we also need to be like Abraham and come back and search for the heart of God and walk in that victory and in that fullness of who he is because that's that's Abraham's testimony that's his legacy is a man who can be called the friend of God because of the way that he followed after him yeah and that's that's our purpose it is that's our calling and and until the day we take our final breath that should be our goal. Yeah, absolutely. And as as long as this this profile was, guys, I mean, we can see I think Abraham is such a great example of our lives. I mean, the ups and the downs. And then at the end, just the, the abiding to constantly running back to God, mm-hmm. finding your security in Him, letting Him work through you to produce those works. Yes. All of it, all the way, all the way through to where you graduate. And satisfied in his life. Yes, an old man satisfied mm-hmm. in life. And, and that may not be the case for everyone, but the, the hope is that we run towards that finish line and that when God calls us home, mm-hmm. this is just the shadow. What's coming is the reality. Amen. So Some of us might wind up at the finish line all tattered <laughs> and, and barely there because this life is hard. Yeah, we is. go. You know, some of us go through more than others and, yeah. we, and we get that. We don't, we're not definitely not trying to paint a fairy tale here because uh, life is rough, uh, and we but our, our faith in God is what gets us is what gets us through because it's not about this life like you said. Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 Abraham. 
It is. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just limped to the finish line of this one. <laughs> yeah, and guys, let us let us know how you like this. This uh I maybe you loved a five part. I don't know, but uh I hope that it it did for you what it did for us in study. Um, not just exhaustion, but <laughs> yeah, just taking away all the application. And uh, he's such a big monstrous character. He's huge. Yes, monstrous. I like that word. Yeah, I, I totally thought I made that up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's real. Monstrous, maybe. I don't know. A monstrosity. I think I was going. Oh, through. okay. Who knows? Who well, knows? can we ask you a favor? If you like five parters and you're like, that doesn't bother me at all, can you send us a Facebook message? Mm-hmm. And if you hate five parters and you're like, come on, get to the content quick, yeah. this is killing me, can you also message us and say, hey, maybe lay off of five parters? Yeah. Yeah. Either way, we would really appreciate hearing from you on the way that you feel. And we'll kind of just do a little quick straw poll, listener poll from that. And um, we'll try to use that information going forward. Yeah. Say, do Moses in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say, do Moses in 2023 parts or something like that. Yeah, nice. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's too much. It's too much. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know, guys. Let us know. Yeah. Um, we we didn't want to skip over too much, and we did, believe it or not, skip a lot. So Yeah. And we are getting back to normal content and topics soon. And so if you have anything that you'd like us to address, we'd also like to hear from you on that. And profiles are coming down the line, so if you want anybody profiled, let us know. Yep. And reach out to us, guys. Uh, we can pray for you. We can pray with you. We can keep in contact. Uh, Josh already said that. Reach out. Uh, but this is a community. It's a community, yeah. and we want to hear from you. Uh, if the podcast is helping you, if it's if it's reaching into your heart, God is speaking to you through the podcast, um, do us a favor. Like us. Um, publicly share us if you have it in your heart because that'll help it get to other ears where it might be able to do the same thing that would be awesome and i appreciate what steven said life is difficult and if you're going through a hard time we would love to stand with you and pray for you so please let us know how we can do that and how we can support you Uh, you can send us a message like i said on facebook or you can also send us an email at connect at basnakebird.com So, snakebirds, always remember whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, and it has thrown some crazy stuff lately, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus and end the profile of Abraham. Oh, I was going to (laughs) say, and walk in the footsteps of Abraham, and be a snakebird. And um, some of these scriptures and some of these and historians and did you hear my tummy? They were of. Shut up, dude.